Father God, we are so joyful to be here today together in this place, this place that you provided for us to worship you, to enjoy each other's company and the fellowship of of our adopted family, Lord God, the work that you've done through Christ to make us your adopted children, to bring us into your redeemed family, that we could know you, worship you, and enjoy you. Lord, we are a grateful people because you set out to do what we could not do, to fully, rightly atone for our sin through the perfect, spotless Lamb. We thank you for Jesus' life, his example, ministry and teaching, but his perfection to live the life that we live, but without sin, so that he could be the perfect and lasting sacrifice for our sins. Lord, what a joy it was to gather on Friday night to consider the cross and the power of your sacrificial love and grace, to praise you for your glorious grace, the gift that you gave us that we did not deserve. And so today we, we rally, we, we, we gather on Sunday morning to celebrate the risen King, Jesus' victory over the grave, the forerunner, Lord, of, of resurrection, the one by whom we trust and build our lives on to know you and enjoy you forever. Father, I pray that you would speak mightily through your holy word this morning, that I would simply be uh, a tool in your hands, Lord, to be used to do your amazing work on your creation, each life in this place that is gathered here, Lord, that you have made wonderfully perfect, in in your will and plan. And yet, Lord, anyone who might still be in sin, still might be the Lord of their own lives, Lord, that they would just see with clarity the gospel of Jesus, see their desperate need for you alone, that we would worship you, know you forever. Lord, we, we give you this time. We ask that you would speak mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Disciples Church. And guests, family, and friends, it's good to have you with us here uh, in what we like to kind of call the clubhouse. Uh, We recently moved from one of the biggest church campuses on the West Coast. Uh, Glad that it's um, being used for gospel ministry uh, by another church in town. But we, uh, in doing so, get to build a brand new facility up the road one mile north of here that you got to see on the video a little while ago. And uh, God is doing amazing things in the life of our church, the diversity of our church, people coming and connecting and growing and maturing in the Lord, that we'd be a faithful people, a committed people to enjoy our God and serve Him and live for Him in all these things. Uh, my name is Joshua Kirstein. I'm one of the pastors here, a preaching pastor here at Disciples Church. And, and I'm here to profess that Jesus is risen. Amen? Amen? Today is the day we celebrate the most significant miracle in the history of the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection marks the celebratory conclusion of what we call Holy Week. Holy Week is what we refer to as the most important week in human history. 
It is the remembrance of the last week of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we focus in on the resurrection. Resurrection Sunday is a big deal because it changes everything. When we really, truly, and rightly understand it, it changes everything. The miracle of the resurrection is a great miracle. Why? Because people who die are and remain dead. Today, we focus on the fact that Jesus is alive. that He rose from the grave. He conquered death. To better understand this great miracle and how it affects our lives in this most significant way, we look to God's holy word, his written word. And specifically this morning, if you want to grab your Bibles, we'll be in two main passages. The first being 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We really love the word of God and want to submit our lives to it fully here at Disciples Church and um, are thrilled to get to study it and have it and know it. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, we hear the testimony of the Apostle Paul, who clearly proclaims the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and specifically the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3-4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. There it is. Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's Friday. That's what we celebrated a couple days ago. And was raised from the dead on Sunday in accordance with the Scriptures. All the prophecy, all, all of history of mankind from the very beginning that pointed to the Redeemer, the Savior, the Victor, This is Jesus Christ, just as it was foretold. Isaiah records in his book, 500 years before Christ, that the Messiah's life would begin with a great miracle, the virgin birth, and his life would conclude with a great miracle, the resurrection from the grave. Jesus himself proclaimed in all four Gospels that he must rise. For example, in Mark 8, 31, as he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, later in 1 Corinthians 15, after clarifying the gospel of Jesus and testifying he has indeed risen from the dead, Paul argues that without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope of resurrection ourselves. Look with me at verse 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, 
whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, who have died in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied. These are strong words from the Apostle Paul to emphasize the vital nature of the resurrection of Christ. He's talking about the importance of Christ's resurrection and then applying it to our lives. People were claiming then that there was no resurrection of the dead, or you might even say people were claiming there's no life after death. This is a vital and most critical thing to consider. You are living. You, I know that because you're here. I can see you. You're, you're breathing. You're physically alive. But what happens after you die? What is your future beyond this relatively short life? Many deny God's existence and believe there is nothing reigning over our existence. People who think this are to be pitied because these people have nothing to hope in beyond this life. No hope after death. Death for them has the final word. Some believe that all people will experience a celestial or heavenly experience with God and each other after death. This belief is grounded in the belief that people are generally good and thereby worthy of a happy afterlife. The massive problem with this position is its utter denial of the holiness of God and that His perfection rightly demands absolute honor and obedience and God will not compromise Himself to sin or sinful people. It only makes little of the holiness of God and what He's due. It makes little and light of the weight of sin. The reality of our sin and what it means for us before that holy God. Sin is our disobedience of God's perfect law in both our heart and our deeds. The Bible is clear that all of mankind is born morally corrupt by the seed of Adam. And each of us confirms this with our practiced transgressions in a lifetime. To say that all people go to heaven is essentially to throw away all that God has revealed about himself in his holiness and all that the word reveals about us 
in who we are in our sin. The belief that all go to heaven or have some kind of positive afterlife is simply a false gospel. It's a lie on the coattails by which many will ride unto damnation. Those who naively stand on a belief that concludes because someone was nice or generous or caring in this life, that they are worthy of God's acceptance, even though they're still guilty in their sin, is to deny God's word, make light of God's holiness, and make little of man's guilt in our sin. This means if we have any hope beyond this life, any hope for true forgiveness from our sin and healing in this life, any hope for true selfless love and authentic community with God and his people, we are desperate for the perfect, promised, sacrificial Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in the place of his people is the perfect and complete payment for their sin. Without Jesus' substitutional atonement on the cross, we stand guilty before the holy God. That's what we remembered his work on the cross Friday night. Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 5, 12-19 is so critical because if Jesus stayed in the grave and never resurrected, if he never conquered death, then what that means is his atonement on our behalf was insufficient before God. That God the Father then was not satisfied with the sacrifice he made on behalf of sinners. This is horrible news. If this is the case, then how can we have hope that God would somehow grant us pardon and grant us resurrection, what do we have that Christ doesn't? The answer is nothing. Not one thing. We have nothing that Jesus doesn't have. He is perfect and we are guilty. He is God and we are his creation. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Please understand the absolute critical nature of the resurrection. We celebrate, we gather on this day, not just because it's a fun annual tradition. I pray today is so much bigger to you than that when we fully and rightly understand what God has done for his people in the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith, our hope is futile. That means God was not satisfied with his payment for our sins, which means we're still in our sins, is what Paul clearly states. Church, since the fall of mankind in sin, Mankind's only hope has been the promised Messiah. This has been our journey this week, since Sunday, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and today. Since the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our hope stands on the victory of 
the resurrection. It is the only foundation we have for hope that we have for new life in Christ. Verse 19 says, If Christ is only a help and a hope for this life, then Paul says it boldly and raw. Then out of all the false beliefs that man has conjured up in this time, some of which I mentioned a few moments ago, that God doesn't exist and we just die when we die. All people go to heaven. Some of those are those false beliefs. Of all those things, if Christ did not resurrect, we Christians are to be most pitied. Church, our very existence, our very purpose hinges on the resurrection. Without it, what do we have? Without it, what are we testifying? What are we doing? While the things we celebrate on Holy Week are special, Holy Week for true Christians is not special or unique. Why? Because every day in Christ, this side of eternity, is a celebration and testimony of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To relegate it to one day or one week is to not understand life in Christ every day. Every Sunday here at Disciples Church, we want to preach the gospel and hold high the fact that we even have life in Christ because of this gospel good news. Look with me at verse 20 through 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. Paul says, But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. By Adam's sin came death for mankind, and by Jesus' resurrection comes life for God's people. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The resurrection of Jesus is a testimony to the resurrection of all of mankind who trust in him. The resurrection is a pivotal and central tenet of the Christian faith. The resurrection is what sets the one true God apart from all of the imitators, all of the false gods and false religions. Unlike all other religions, Christianity alone possesses a founder who transcends death, who promises to his followers they will do the same in Christ. All other religions were founded by men and prophets whose end was the grave. As Christians, we we take comfort in the fact that our God, God the Son, took on flesh, lived without sin, died for our sins as the perfect substitutional sacrifice, and was resurrected on the third day as the great victor over sin and death. 
The grave could not hold him. He lives. He sits today at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Amen? Look with me at verse 54 through 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who left his throne in heaven where he rules and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords to come to earth and take on the life of a servant where he humbly and painfully took on our deserved wrath so that we might have life eternal with God and be empowered to serve him on the mission field he's given us. And we do this for his glory. Picture the resurrected Jesus who like a victorious soldier after a long and bloody battle has defeated his foe and returns home to reign and rule. And I know at least I got the men with me in that moment right there. <laughs> Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as opposed to religion. I fear sometimes more for those of you or friends or family or people we may know who think they're okay with God because of some kind of simple attachment to religion. Church, the gospel changes our lives. In Christ, we we die to ourselves to live for Him. Religion says, earn your new identity. Earn your victory Resurrect yourself with hard work. Follow the rules to try to be included. The gospel says God has graciously elected and acted upon his people to raise them from death to life. It's his work. The gospel says that Christ has earned your victory over sin and death. On Resurrection Day, we celebrate the great act of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The firstborn among many brothers and sisters who would be saved and sanctified and will one day rise to with him to reign with God forever in holy heaven. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we who confess Jesus as Lord will be resurrected. Now turn with me in your your New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 1, towards the very back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we'll we'll go next. 
as we talk about the living and enduring hope that we have through the resurrection. 1 Peter 1, Peter is writing to what he calls the elect exiles, the church, recognizing they're, they're being chosen by God, recognizing that they are in exile still in this time, foreigners now in a land uh, that still reigns with sin. And here's his encouragement, and I pray it is to you as well today. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. According to his great mercy. What it doesn't say is according to your merit or decision. Our salvation is not a result of a wise choice to accept God's offer of new life. Our salvation is not the result of our good works that earn the favor of God. The Bible is clear that our salvation is the work of God alone so that we have nothing to boast in, but only God alone. This is an important clarity of Scripture that needs to speak into much of modern-day Christian thinking. You have nothing to boast in. I encourage our church all the time, don't share with people the day you accepted Christ. Share with people the day that God saved you. Praise be to God. We will not stand before God one day in the new heavens and the new earth and say, I'm so thankful for all that you've done and I'm really thankful that I made that decision. No, you will fall on your face before God for the salvation. The word says is his work. To him be the praise and the glory And if you're struggling with that, it's just through all Scripture, but let me just give you one potent place that speaks to it. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, But God, being rich in mercy, there it is again, His rich mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved a gift given that he was not obligated to give, nor were you deserving in any way, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our salvation is according to the mercy and grace of God alone not according to anything we offer or contribute or do or say or earn. His mercy, His gift, 
His work to revive us. Peter has said, God is due all praise and blessing in his opening words here in 1 Peter 1. Because of his great mercy, which caused his elect to be born again, we are born again into new life in Christ. We are spiritually made alive. The question that comes next is, we're born to what? What are we born to? And Peter's answer here in 1 Peter 1 verse 3 is clear. To a living hope. Let's pause for a moment. What is hope? The right definition of hope has two layers to it. Number one, a feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen. A hope. Hope for something to happen. The second layer is critical. A person or thing that may help or save someone. Hope in something or someone. It's hope for and it's hope in We hope for and we hope in. Let me just ask you to make that personal lately. What have you lately been hoping for? What do you put your hope in? When life comes at you hard and sideways, what is your hope in? What is your hope for? Bible tells us the ultimate hope of the human heart is not forgiveness or justification or heaven or freedom from disease. The Bible says again and again and again, the ultimate hope of every human heart is the glory of God. There is no greater thing you can hope for or hope in than the glory of God. To put anything else in its place is to be an idolater. Is to ask for counterfeit, second-rate something. The ultimate hope of every heart is the glory of God. And the Bible says this again and again and again. I had tons of scriptures. I narrowed it down to four examples to fly by you real fast. Romans 5.2, we rejoice in the hope of being cancer-free. No, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Colossians 1.27 Riches in you is the hope of glory. No, Christ in you is the hope of, of glory. Colossians 3.4 When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, heaven is not the prize. Heaven will be great. The new creation will be great. The chocolate wonderfalls and streets of gold and hoverboards or whatever else comes with heaven is secondary it all points us to the prize. 
the glory of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the majesty and the holiness of God. Because of the fall, our first hope is redemption, salvation, resurrection, without which we have nothing but death, eternal death, spiritual death. But our ultimate hope is for our participation in the glory of God, which salvation in Christ alone brings. I love this quote from John Piper, who says, Christmas happened, birth of Jesus. Good Friday happened, death of Jesus. Easter happened, resurrection of Jesus. So that sinners might not be incinerated by the beauty of God, but might see it and savor it with ever-increasing joy. This is the glory of God. But the problem we all face is our hopes, our practical daily hopes, are often way more centered on us than they are on the glory of God. We often make a a terrible substitution. It's a substitution that has centered a delusionment in us and has affected our hope in God. It's a substitution that I made for many years that in our flesh we all still struggle with and it's simply this, to to substitute hope for wishes. A wish is originated from me and it's left to chance. A wish is about what I want And it's measured by my desired outcomes. It's very me-centered or creation-centered. Maybe that wish is for a loved one or a situation, but it's on God's creation. So we build up scenarios. We build up dreams, life status. And if life doesn't match those wishes or dreams, then we are let down. And, and I just want you to see in that, do you see how much of that is centered on you, on me? If wishes is how we look forward to tomorrow, we are going to end up with a pretty disappointing life. Why? Because seldom the things we wish for happens the way we want it to happen. So we just keep wishing. One day, if I'm lucky, this will happen or this will happen. And even worse, when our wishes come true, we discover they only make us happy for a moment or for a season. But even the best of them fade out. You remember what was on your Christmas wish list in 2008. Most likely not, because even if you got everything on it, it hasn't fulfilled you utterly in your life. You moved on. In the last 10 years, you got new things, new things you're, ho- you're wishing in and longing for and 
thinking will make your life happy. This is why the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ is so critical. Moving from wishes to hope means giving up the perception of total control being ours under the reality of the one who is in control, Jesus. Hope in Jesus is based on one thing, a sure thing. The one person who has total control. Psalm 146, verse 5, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. What or who do you hope in? When you wake up in the morning, hope is what makes you do something. It motivates you to live. If there's no hope, why live? Why endure life's hardships? Have you been losing hope as a result of the hardships that have come your way? Hear Peter's words this morning. Listen to these truths. Let them be to you like firm ground under your feet after being lost at sea for months on end to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is genuine and vital hope in contrast to being empty or vain hope. Why? Because it's based on the perfect, sovereign work of God's election, regeneration, and conversion in his people's lives. Peter has laid the groundwork, the foundation of our hope. The hope is not baseless superstition. It's not contrived in our hearts, the folly of man. It's built on the work and the power of God. But he takes it further, saying, it is living because Christ is living. Amen? We trust in a resurrected Savior, not a long-dead and gone prophet or priest like the man-made religions of the world. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, if he was not the firstborn of God, we have no hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. A great lyric of an old hymn. Why? Because it is our battle cry. It is our wake-up alarm in the morning to get up to another day. Because our hope is in the resurrected Christ who is living. He is alive. He is not dead. Our hope is living. It is active. It is thriving in the fertile soil of Jesus' victory. Amen? Remember, Jesus' victory is not just a victory over death. It is a victory over all momentary suffering. It is the basis that even in the worst of times, we have a living hope. In the midst of struggle and exile, 
And for the best of the best of the Holy Scriptures, even death. We endure persecution, struggle, and even death. The suffering and loss of, of the things that are happening in this life, in this temporary space, because we know in Christ we are secure. We are not able to be lost because it's not by our doing, it's by His doing. We are bound in Christ. We are cemented in the resurrection of Jesus the victory of our bloody champion who is the firstborn of the redeemed family, the one who claimed our victory. Peter is reminding the elect exiles that whatever you've encountered in this world is trivial compared to the blessing of future resurrection. Peter is reminding the elect exiles of these great truths that we would stand fast in them Romans 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us into our hearts. The idea of not being put to shame here is that it doesn't let us down, it doesn't disappoint. It doesn't say hope does not disappoint because our family remains healthy and doesn't get sick. It doesn't say that hope does not disappoint because we finally met the person of our dreams and married them. It doesn't say our hope does not disappoint because our career is going great and bigger income is on the horizon or that we'll have lots of friends and stuff No, hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given us. We will not be disappointed because our hope is in Jesus. If your hope or wishes is in anything else, you will be disappointed. Jesus is satisfaction. We have a hope because of his victory, because of what is still to come. Now, God has saved us to something, a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's what Peter says next. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, now verse 4 and 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our lives are God's doing. Our salvation is God's work and gift of grace. Our resurrection is secured in Jesus' resurrection. Our life in Christ, our hope is in Christ. Our satisfaction is in Christ. My plea to you, 
my prayer for you is that you know and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Not just religious practices. I pray that your hope is in the bloodied champion, Jesus Christ. The power of the resurrection of Christ. May your living hope cause you to live in hope. That you stop living for wishes that are man-centered that will come and go. And start living for the glory of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 For my last point this morning, look with me at Romans chapter 6. I want to read you this beautiful passage in verse 1 through 11. Paul says it this way. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer believe, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, For one who has died has been set free from sin. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Paul explains that we can walk in the newness of life because Christ was raised from the dead. To no longer continue in sin, enslaved to sin like our former state, Paul says, if we've died to sin, how can we still live in it, practice it? Paul's next words are especially powerful As Christians, we are united to Christ. Christ died to sin, so we must also consider ourselves dead to sin. Christ also came back to life. The life he now lives, he lives to God. Therefore, those who are in Christ live for the glory of God. No longer walking according to our flesh, but the spirit within. None of this, however, is possible if Christ remains in the tomb. His resurrection is our victory over the reign of sin. Only because he is risen do we have assurance, blessed assurance, confidence, and the ability to walk in the newness of life for the glory of God. 
I realize that on Easter, there are many of you who are here who claim Christ, but you're not plugged into a local church. You're not obeying God's holy word. You're not inviting others into your life to truly hold you accountable to mature in Christ, to keep your affection centered on Christ. You're not fighting sin and practicing righteousness. Maybe you're just simply clinging to a prayer you said back in 1982. Or you're clinging to a time that you used to be really involved in church. A season when you were devoted to Jesus and the things of the Bible, but you've become distracted. Maybe you've become lazy or busy. Maybe you've thought, I've done enough. Maybe life's just gotten in the way. Maybe you've let hurts between you and someone else, between you and a church family or leader, keep you from staying connected and accountable and maturing in your faith and your ministry. Can I say to you today, I'm truly glad you're here if this is you. The things I've just spoke of, the scriptures say are, are potent signs that maybe what you know or have that you're clinging to is much more religion than it is the gospel. Because the gospel transforms us and it motivates us to walk in Christ, to stay committed to his church, to stay under the authority of the word. The evidence is of a life of repentance ongoingly, that we don't just kind of package up our Christianity and then frame it up the way we like it. We've died to ourselves, and we've said that Christ is Lord. I, I pray that this is a loving conviction for you this morning that the Lord God would use to spur you on. Those God has given saving faith trust their entire lives to Jesus. He reigns on high as their king, as their authority. Their greatest love is for him. We, we hunger for his word. We love his people. We're committed to testify of his gospel to a world that hates us and hates our Lord because his word clearly says that more are to be redeemed. My explicit command as a shepherd of the local church is to not beat around the bush, but to bring the life-changing truth of the gospel before us. Is Jesus your Savior and Lord? If he is, your life will be a life of resurrection in Christ according to his word. I did not say perfection. I said resurrection. A daily walk of repentance and trusting in Jesus alone. Growing in the church, in the word, serving others, and making war with temporary treasures and idols. For those of you who have drifted away, who have maybe got caught up in walking in disobedience, those of you who maybe have made secondary the things of God, I can think of no better day for you to go to God in prayer and confess these things and repent. Repent means to turn from them, 
to take up a new practice starting today. To glorify the Lord, to walk in Him, to turn to Him, His church, and His word. If Jesus is not your Savior and Lord, the Bible clearly says that you should repent and believe in Christ alone for salvation. To trust in Jesus with your entire life. This means you die to yourself and Jesus is your everything. And it is your joy to do that. Because you see, in no way do I want to stand in my sin on my own. I want to be in Christ and for Christ. I stand here today before you because I'm worried for some of you. Because you have no sense of urgency. No sense of how serious or temporary this life and this thing is. When you look to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, you need to realize most clearly that Jesus died for you and suffered and rose for your salvation or you will suffer for eternity and never rise. It's one or the other. I promise you this is the word of truth. I pray that none of you who entered this house today as enemies of God would leave in your sin, but leave as children of God. I've been praying for you as I've been preparing for today. I've been praying that it be God's plan, a plan set in motion before time, that those of you who walk in this morning to resurrection, service, dead, and sin would leave in Christ. Friends, there is no hope apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. Your sins are real. God's wrath is real. Hell is real. But so is forgiveness of sin and resurrection to new life through our Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this hour that you've given us to worship, to fellowship, to consider these truths of your holy word. Thank you for your word. Lord, where would we be without the clarity of your word? Father, I just remain so desperate for your word to lead us as a church, to lead me as a shepherd, to lead our people that we would, at any moment, that we have clear conviction that what we've done or practiced or believed is not in step with your word, that we would be humble enough to confess that and to repent, to turn from it. Lord, that you would reign in our lives, that we would live in a living hope in you like we never have before. And all of this is based in the resurrection, the victory of Jesus for those who entered this house today have been fighting what it looks like to yield, to surrender to you, the living God. They've been clean to know I want to still be the Lord of my own life. I still want to have it my way to do it my way. That they would see the beauty of the good news. That they would spiritually fall on their faces in the reality of their sin, their desperate need for a Savior, and truly yield to you as Lord, as life, as living hope be forever changed. Thank
God, I thank you for all the ways you've been working in our people, in this church, in our city, and beyond. And we just hope, praise you, we praise you, we celebrate the resurrection and your work. So hear us sing and pray and respond, not just in this next moment, but with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.